the Hong Kong. Ninety-seven, the Hong Kong was given by the Brits back to China. And whenever uh, we had an occasion like that, I would always visit the head of state, the new head of state. So we met, Elaine and I met Mr. Sun Chi who was the first Beijing chief executive in China, it of Hong Kong. It turned out very interestingly that he loved Jews, he loved Judaism, and he loved Medina Israel. And he said to me, Rabbi Sachs, your people are mighty, our people are very old. Our people are 5,000 years old in China, and your people are 6,000 years old. I didn't want to correct you. <laughs> he said, tell me, what I've always wanted to know is, what did you do the first thousand years before you had kosher Chinese takeaway? <laughs> <laughs> and then Mr. Cook, you want to know what we did for the first thousand years? We complained about the <laughs> <laughs> But I thought about this. How come Jews and Judaism and China and Chinese lasted so long? And you probably know the answer. In Chinese, the ideogram for crisis also means opportunity. So when you know that every crisis is also an opportunity, you survive all the crises. I only know of one language that goes one thing, and that is Hebrew. What is the Hebrew for crisis? Much better. And what is a mashbeh? It was originally a birthing school. And when you have a word like mashbeh, you know every crisis is merely a play later. The birth pangs of something new and something different. And I promise you that all the all the that you have occasionally had, which will soon be tradition, past and all of that is just the birth pangs of something new something very special that will happen here in Beit Shemesh and send rays of light throughout the world. And about that, Aninu Amin So I've been asked to say just a few words about Kiddush Hashem. What does it mean in the context of today, in the context of the United Israel, in the context of the sometimes deeply divided Jewish world? So let me begin with the concept of Kiddush Hashem itself. What does it mean? We find it classically in four different contexts. Number one, classically, the Makar of the whole mitzvah, That's according to Rashi is al According to Rashi, it's got nothing to do with the world outside. It is the sin If you sin the but amazing, that is a chilvash. According to the Ezra and Bnei Aharonidaga, the whole parrot uh, of, of that parrot of Vayikra is Vadavoda Nakonim. In other words, according to the Ezra, Kiddush Hashem is specifically focused on Kohen. Why? Because they are holy individuals. Their Avodah is holy within Kedushan, the Beit HaMikdash, and therefore they expect to be role models of Kedushan, and therefore when they break any law, any mitzvah, in addition to the Chet Prati, the individual Chet that they commit by doing something they shouldn't do, 
there's also a hekvali, a general sin, because they have failed to be role models of what it is to be kadosh to be That is the first instance, and it's quite a limited concept. Then, second, the concept appears vastly expanded. In one book in particular, the book Sefer Yecheskel. Yecheskel Anadi speaks about Hilal Hashem in a completely new way. And he says this, when Bnei Yisrael go into Galut, that is Hilal Hashem. When Hashem punishes the people by giving them defeat and sending them into exile, it makes the Kodesh Baruch Hu look as if he is powerless to help them, and that is a Hilal and then that in Yechezkel is carrying forward an idea we first encounter when Moshe Rabbeinu prays by God Rishporah to forgive the people for Chet HaEgel and he says, Lama Yom Mitzrayim How will it look to the world? And Yechezkel says that is what God looks like. It looks as if God Rishporah is powerless to save his people. And when that happens And uh, Rambam gives the exa- examples of this share. 
It is only then that Hashem calls to Avraham Avinu, and the whole focus of the Torah moves from all of humanity to one man, to one marriage, to Avraham and Sarah, to one family, and eventually to one nation. Why? Because having failed to establish a relationship with all humanity, Hagarish Baruch who says to Avraham Avinu, I want you and your children to be the bearers of my presence to the world. As it says many, several times in Bereshit, five times in Bereshit, through you my light will be refracted into the world. Or to put it another way, there are two ways of teaching it. Number one, by general rules, and number two, by specific examples. Having failed to reach humanity through specific rules, Hashem says, I will try the second way, by a living example. Let Avraham Avinu and his children be living examples of what it is to be people who live in my image, people who live by my will. And that, in an extraordinary way, actually happens. Then and now. Here is Avraham a person who lives apart, alone, by his own life. Avraham, I agree. He is on one side, the whole of the world is on the other side. He fights for his neighbors, he prays for his neighbors, but he stays true to himself. And what do his neighbors say? They say to this man, who has kept himself separate, Nasi Elohim Atavitokhe. Even the Dmeichem, even the Hittites, recognized the Siel Kim And so it was in history. I mean, I still find myself awestruck by the fact that not a, that 2.4 billion Christians, 1.6 billion Muslims, and a few of us, most of them, by the looks of it, are here this evening. <laughs>
That is what Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he said, He chokhmatchem, uvinachem, le'ne'e'amim. That's what he meant when he said, Barahu, ko ame'ares ki shem Hashem nikra That is what he said. And it's true. And it really is true. And that is what Kiddush Hashem means. The word Shem means not just a name, but a reputation. In Hebrew and in English, we use exactly the same concept. Shem Tov. To have a good name means to have a good reputation. Shem means not God as he is in himself, but Hashem as he is perceived by the rest of humanity. And whenever we do things that make humanity think well of a Kaddish Borogul, that is Kiddush Hashem, and when the opposite happens, that is Kiddush And that is why the commandment begins by being addressed first and foremost to the Kohanim. They had to behave in an exemplary way, and subsequently, after Kurban, they come in touch, Kurban by changing that past, that role of being role models, passed from Kohanim to Talmideh HaKhanim. And it is also the thing that makes us Am Yisrael as a whole. The Svarno says, on the phrase, Mamlechet Kohanim, he says that means we are to the rest of the world what the Kohanim are. We are the exemplars of what it is to be But that is very difficult. And it is difficult for precisely, or for 2,000 years it is very difficult, for precisely the reason Yechezkel Hanavi said. Because in Galut, in Chutzlare, even in Holy St. John's Wood, where Elaine and I enjoyed life so much for 22 years, However badly my football team is doing against Manchester, <laughs> <laughs> the most beautiful of all gilded galut, we are powerless. And when we are powerless for a small minority, we make a lot of noise, we make up for our lucky numbers by sheer volume. But the fact is that when we are powerless to shape our own destiny, it is as if, if I uphold, I go to Shmuroch himself, is powerless. And for that reason, Chazal said in one of the most daring of their remarks in, in, in the Bible that when Jews are in Dallas, I punish Baruch And that reached its ultimate in the Shoah, in the Warsaw Ghetto, the Piazhnerov, writing his Drashot as one by one. The members of his family are taken from him to Treblinka and he writes his great work, Yesh Kodesh. He says, Hashem is retreating into his innermost chambers and weeping. And if one drop of Hashem's tears were to escape, it would destroy the world. Which is why the creation of the Nath Yisrael was not just political events of the most immense It was also the greatest Kiddush Hashem in 2,000 years of Jewish history. Because the birth of Mubina Israel, as it were, Kavayachon, brought the Shechina out of Galut and back into the Roshina. And therefore, every single you, and I heard exactly what you said, <laughs> who lives in the United States <laughs> is 
part of the great mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem, which is etzem kiyumasha on the binah. The mere fact that there is a binah is itself a Kiddush Hashem of the highest. And the truth is that just as you only read the bad news in the newspapers about Israel, you say you only read the bad news when you read the English papers. But the truth is, and maybe this doesn't come through because it isn't articulated as loudly as it should be. The world recognizes You may see Israel criticize the truth. The honest truth is when you're talking Barba and I, the political leaders in the West, they all know that Medinat Israel is a human miracle like which there is no one. The way that it has taken a barren land and make it green again. The way it has taken the language of the Bible and make it speak again. The way it has taken a scattered, shattered people and make it live again. This is a miracle everyone truly sees. And it is the sustained condition that is Israel. I mentioned this to Tukshiwa in Hong Kong. And let me mention one more time. He said, he, uh, when I first met him, he said he wanted to come to Israel, which he did, to see how to make a high-tech economy. <laughs> so, when he announced his intention, I came and always, I used to meet regularly, Shagriya Medinat Israel for breakfast, I said, what are Shagriya, I want you to go to Mr. Shimon Peres, who was that time, Rosh Hashanah, and tell him, his dream was that one day, maybe, Israel would become the Hong Kong of the Middle East. <laughs> Today, Hong Kong dreams maybe one day we will come to Israel of the forest. <laughs> that is a small measure of Israel's achievement. And when I speak to one Jews about Israel, I'm very straight and I understand this very simply. If we were to identify the five problems that will dominate history, in the 21st century, it is absolutely clear what they are. Number one, climate change, global warming, although in Israel, in England, we're praying that send a little global warming. <laughs> Second, the growing disparity between first world economies and third world economies. Number three, in Britain, in Europe, in America, the problem of the silence is number four, the problem of terror, which is now a global problem. And the problem five, the problem of the Arab Spring, how do you bring democracy to a part of the world that never knew democracy? Israel has achieved miracles in all those five areas. It is the only country in terms of climate change which hasn't deforested but planted forests. Israel was the only country in the world that had more trees at the end of the 20th century than it had at the beginning of the 20th century. Israel is the world's single greatest example of a third world economy that became a cutting edge first world As for asylum seekers, Israel took people from 103 different countries, speaking 82 different languages, usually all at once, and one nation on earth. In terms of terror, Israel has always led the world, and any country that suffers the risk of terror comes to Israel and its experts for advice. And finally, in terms of bringing democracy to a part of the world that never knew it, Israel not only brought democracy, 
for what I call hyper-democracy. <laughs> and you can imagine such a thing. In all these things, Israel has been and continues to be a Jewish Hashem. However, we are all heirs of history. And something happened, not now, something happened 200 years ago in 19th century in Europe. And we are still paying the price for it. It happened because of one of the greatest crises the Jewish people ever faced. Here was the crisis. French Revolution. The birth of democracy. Rationalism. Gene like And throughout Europe, Throughout enlightened, scientific, rationalistic Europe, country after country seems to offer Jews, for the first time, freedom and equality as citizens of the new nation states. But at that very moment, there was born that phenomenon that was initially had no name. Eventually, in 1879, some gave it an anti-Semitism, racial anti-Semitism. That began in Europe in the 19th century. At the very time that Europe was promising that a rational age would put an end to the prejudices of the past, at that very moment, those prejudices mutated and came back in a form more virulent than they had ever had. And the result was, in one country after another, Jews found themselves faced with the following choice. You want to be part of Europe? Then stop being Jews. At least, don't be Jews in public. Become, if I can use the phrase, secular morons. Hidden Jews, who hid their Jews. You want to be part of us? Give up what makes you different and become Frenchmen or Germans of the Jewish conception. At that point, still began with the Jewish people, which still survives to this day. There were Jews who said, yes, we want to be part of the European nation state, and if that means giving up much of our faith and practice as Jews, we will do so. They became a similar. They became very secular. And there were other Jews who said, if that is the deal you are offering us, we prefer to decline the bargain. We will stay Jewish but we will turn our back on the Europe that so discriminates. At that moment, a rift was created in Amnesty. But it was not created by Amnesty. That is the important thing. It was created by a seemingly tolerant but actually viciously anti-Semitic France, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Poland, and Russia. And then it came to it all ended in the worst crime against humanity and human beings first set foot on earth. And still we weep and still we weep. However, strange are the ways of providence. And it was precisely that division of the Jewish world that led to the two distinct miracles of Jewish life after the show. First of all, 
It was precisely those deeply assimilated and highly secular Jews, like Moses, like Judah, like Theodore Hartzell, completely assimilated Jews, who became the driving force behind secular Zionism, which itself was a driving force in the first post Holocaust Jewish miracle, the creation of the United Israel and the rebirth of Jewish sovereignty after 2,000 years. Who knows whether we would have had the United Israel without that talich of without that secularization that led Herzl to understand that we need to act in the political arena and not just in the great On the other hand, it was those deeply religious, highly segregated Jews of whom all that remained after the Shoah was a Mutzalayesh, a brand plucked from the burning, a mere handful. It was those people from the Hasidic movements and the Yeshivot who created the second miracle of our time, the rebirth of Tarat Israel, which today flourishes in Israel and the United States in virtually every Jewish community. Today, there are more Jews learning in Yeshiva than at any previous time in the whole of Jewish history, more than in the great age of Mira and Polovish and Belogin, more even than in the days of Surah and Pongadita, from which came Talmud Bavli, these were two extraordinary miracles. The rebirth of the United Israel and the rebirth of Torah Israel. And we owe that to that deep division between those two groups of Jews, each of whom performed a specific function in the redemption and renaissance of the Jewish after the Shabbat. And the truth is, we are all in the death of those individuals. However, the door for door Every generation has its secrets and its search, its particular needs. And having now Reclaimed and rebuilt them. Having now reclaimed and rebuilt the Orash of Torah, now a new challenge faces all of us in the Jewish world, but particularly those who are Chinese. And the challenge is simply this, and it is so obvious that it hardly needs statement. We went as a people three times into government. Number one, in the days of your safe and his brothers. Number two, after Hurban by Rishon. Number three, after Hurban by Shemi. And each time for the same reason. In the first days of the first temple, after a mere three kings, Shaul, David, Shlomo, the kingdom split in two, and always Israel was a tiny country surrounded by large empires, and to survive as one nation on earth was difficult, but to survive as two was impossible, and hence the destruction of the loss of the Northern Kingdom and then the destruction of the Bayerishon and Gabriel Rabbin. In chain, the Jewish people were so factionalized that the eyewitness accounts tell us the Jews were more intent in besieged Jerusalem in fighting one another than in fighting the truth <coughs> of their faith in the Titans It all came from that problem that first began with Yosef and his brothers, Lot, Yachlub, of now, I find 
that Jews were attacked by the greatest superpowers human history has ever known. Egypt of the Pharaohs, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the medieval empires of Christianity and Islam, all the way to the Third Reich and the Soviet Union. Every one of those superpowers has been consigned to history, and our tiny people can still stand and sing on Israel. There only ever was one people capable, has shown, of defeating the Jewish people, and that is the Jewish people. <laughs> so what then is our situation today? We have a very strong secular public. We have a very strong religious public, but very little connection between them. There is a rare form of cerebral lesion, of brain damage, in which the right and left hemispheres of the brain are both intact. But the connection between them, I'm not a medic, I think it's called the corpus callosum, am I right? The connection between them is broken. The result is dysfunction of the personality. I think the Jewish people sometimes think to me as if we're collectively suffering from this terrible condition. Friends, you, I include me, are the corpus callosum of the Jewish people. We have a very special role in And it's very rare and it's very special. Because you speak to both sides. You understand both sides. And Hashem has given you, and I suppose me as well, a great and vitally necessary task, which is to keep those two hemispheres in some kind of connection with one another. Without that, without you, without us, we could spread apart. And that cannot happen. We cannot. It happens We can't ever let it happen again. Or if I can use a slightly different image. On Shabbat, we just read of Yaakov Avinu's dream of the Summa Mutsavatsa, the Roshul Madhya Shemaima, allowing connecting those who are firmly rooted down here on the material earth and those who live holy, head and uh, totally in heaven. You and I are the ladder. And the thing about the ladder is people tread. <laughs> it's not comfortable in Believe me. But it happens to be necessary. Because if we are the ladder connecting those who are Mutsav Arta and those who are Mahia then we are the bridge between heaven and earth. Now, it is really, really uncomfortable to be a bridge between heaven and earth. I remember the day I got appointed chief rabbi. Rabbi Jackson may remember this. Somebody sent me a friend of mine from Israel, sent me a letter. One hour before I was inducted, I haven't even been appointed. And you've already upset the right wing and you've upset the left wing. You must be doing something right. <laughs> so it is an uncomfortable task, but it's a necessary. And you all know, every bit as well as I know, that people in that position know exactly what we have to do. And here is how the Rambam puts it, how Chazal put it. People in that position the 
And in May 2007, I went to address the three leaders of Europe, Angela Merkel, who was chairing the European Union, Jose Manuel Barroso, who was the head of the European Commission, and Hans Gerd head of the European Parliament in Strasbourg. And I addressed them all, and I told them that Jews in Europe today are asking, is there a future for Jews in Europe? And you will see them. Today's papers or tomorrow's papers, whatever, that a report has just come out uh, along these lines. And I've already alerted the leaders of Europe to this six years Anti-Semitism is serious. And yes, we have that. But we also have friends. And we have good friends. And we have, we have more friends if we went out to make them. When we persuaded this conference of European allies, the European Union, to hold in conference on anti-Semitism in its headquarters in Brussels in 2003, I got up and said these words, which I repeated to every British Prime Minister. They've repeated them, actually, Jews cannot fight anti-Semitism alone. The victim cannot cure And therefore, we need friends who fight against anti-Semitism. And we will find them. The truth is, if we could make three friends in the 21st century, we have half the world. Which three friends? Number one, India. Number two, China. And number three, the Catholic Church. There are a billion Indians. There are 1.2 billion Chinese, and there are 1.2 billion Catholics. And the latest pope is a pretty good guy, and uh, <laughs> he wrote a book with a rabbi. And, one way or another, you can learn these from Why do I say those three friends? Because India and China are two ancient civilizations, pretty much as old as Judaism itself, and the only two great civilizations that never had a history of anti Semitism. The Catholic Church, since 1965, has become Balik in terms of their own recognition of their own horrific treatment of the Jews over history. Those friends, I, I'm not saying the, the, any one of those three relationships is an easy one to consummate, but if we did it, they would be very important. So, for instance, I am pointing out now in speeches in Britain, in America, just now in Spain, to three to two Catholic universities and so on. That today, it's not just Jews being persecuted, Christians have been persecuted throughout the Middle East and large parts of the rest of the world. I don't know how many, 80,000 have left Aleppo, 20,000 have left Homs, 8 million Coptic Christians living in fear in Egypt. In 2010, the last church burned to the ground in Afghanistan. There was no church in Afghanistan. Ten years ago, there were one and a half million. Uh, Christians in Iraq today less than half a million. In 2007, the last Christian bookseller in Gaza had his shop burned to the ground and then slipped. Christians are being persecuted in the Middle East, and I have said loud and clear to every Christian group I can speak to, we have to stand together on this. Jews and Christians together. We are both surrounded by enemies, and we have to end the estrangement between us and stand side by side. 
defense of the right of Christians to live their faith anywhere without fear, the right of Jews to live their faith anywhere without fear, and the right of Medina and Israel to live in safety. So we have to go out and make those scrambles. It's not right. It can be done. And yes, anti-Semitism keeps coming back, but we just have to keep defeating. That thought, and Israel Sachs perceived a current or coming clash of Christianity and Islam, and how would that evolving relationship or confrontation between those two religions bear upon the Jewish world, um, especially the European Jewish community, but not only? Well, as they say in England, couldn't possibly come on that many steps. And he got up and he said, I agree with the chief rabbi on everything. And if that doesn't prove, 
I'm a Gentile, I don't know what to do. Which I learned that if you stand up for your faith in a reasonable and gentle way, and a generous you strengthen the faith of others, whatever the faith of others. That even a Jew speaking with pride about Jewish faith and strengthening the Muslim faith of a very religious Muslim. So I don't like to think of Christians and Muslims fighting one another. The truth is, as I'm sure you know, the single biggest conflict in the 21st century will be the fight of Muslim against Muslim. That is going to be the defining fight of the 21st century. It's the internal battle within Islam, which is very similar to the internal battle within Christianity that took place in Europe in the 16th and that battle we can have nothing to say, except to pray that it is resolved as speedily as it is possible. But let, let us seek to uh, draw any hope from any conflict between Christians and Muslims. The truth is, we have to stand side by side with persecuted Christians, and we have to stand side by side with those Muslims who speak with generosity and awareness that the 21st century forcing others to make space. We're moving away from the battlefield of Europe to something something more perhaps in that shape, maybe not. When we were in Yeshiva, we were taught about Abadat Hashem that revolves around Torah learning and the Vedic Josh. Quote, that was really inspiring then, but as an adult with family, children, jobs, a mortgage, etc., we can at best be prepared between the Torah. What kind of religious life should lay people have? What are the religious priorities? We can no longer measure ourselves by the standard taught in Yeshiva, but we're not sure what new standards to apply. That if you say Shema Yisrael morning and evening, that technically constitutes a fulfillment of Mitzvah's coming Torah. And actually, it clearly does. Because the Brother Baba Rabba is, you know, according to the Torah and so on, it is actually a bracha al Torah, and it, it, it actually exempts you from saying birkat ha-Torah if you broke it. There's no question whatsoever. So the Mahalakit is, may you tell this to people, or may you not? Because <laughs> the <laughs> one there is also lam ra because they'll think, you see, I don't need to learn anymore, I don't preach my, I fulfill the duty that the other ops is missed, it's a mistress this precisely because of the guilt behind of the person who asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hashem demands a lot of us, and not all of it can we do at any given moment in our lifetime. There are moments when we are able to study more and do less, and there are moments when we do more and we study less. And bringing up children and everything like us and creating short advice doing acts of chesed are also precious by God is powerful. And the truth is, God gave us increased life expectancy and dust yummy on the iPad. <laughs> we should never despair because even if we have, don't have time now, we will have time. And I know, you know, said never say that out loud, but I'm just telling you. And uh, just discover that if you learn dust yummy, it's a school of against all sorts of brain things you shouldn't worry about. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And uh, so I say to the Christ, you know, you do what Hashem wants you to do with this particular time. And I call it a who loves what you do. And God Allah, and therefore, all the learning you did in Yeshiva, you are now turning into Karaset. And all the learning you feel guilty about not doing, you will give you time enough in the years to come to do. Okay? <laughs> <laughs>
Hashem, every development in information technology is Hashem hitting us on the head and saying, use this. The ideal Torah, the ideal. Go figure the point. When people look back on the 21st century, the buzzword they will use is what? Globalization. For everyone else, it is the newest of the new. For us, it is the oldest of the old. For 2,000 years, at least, probably, 26 centuries, we were scattered across the world, but we were, and we were seen by others as one people. We were, by 2,000 years, the world's first global people. Now, go figure, what kept us together? Given that the Jews didn't speak the same weekday language, Rashi spoke French, Rambam spoke Arabic, Israeli uh, Jews spoke Ladino, etc., etc. We were living under different dispensations, Rashi's in Christian France, Rambam's in, in, in Muslim uh, Foster, etc. What kept us together? The answer is we were connected to the same text. It was the first hypertext. Jews were the first people to establish cyberspace. We were the world's first virtual community. And therefore, all this technology is actually a Shem to join together with other Jews across the world and learn together. And I will show you the power of this technology. I have to go at the end of the battle into the war in Kosovo. Remember, uh, 30, 40 years ago, each year I used to make a television program for BBC for BBC One before Rosh Hashanah as a message to the nation. So it was always a problem, you know, how do you take something Jewish and make it relevant to everyone? And I did it from uh, Pristina. And the, the, the war was just ending, the NATO troops were just ending again then. I was flown in by, by, by the RAF. And I stood there in the middle of Kosovo, in the, in the middle of Pristina, with all the bomb rubble. And, and you know, the Christians had been fighting Muslims, and the Muslims were fighting the Christians. There was a tank in front of every, every uh, church. And I stood there and I said, Now you see that see the power of one word to change the world. The word forgiveness. <coughs> the Christians and Muslims can forgive one another they have a future. If they can't, they will be fighting the battle of Kosovo in 1389 to the end of time. I went to see the head of the NATO forces, General Sir Michael Jackson. No, not that Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> this monster was head of the NATO forces said, we owe your people, he said to me, an immense debt. I said, how come? He said, when the refugees are coming back, and you know, it's hard to give people a sense of normality after their whole lives have been disrupted. And uh, what is the sign that things are back to normal? The schools open on time. Your people have made sure that our schools open on so I'm hearing that the Jews in Pristina are responsible for all the schools in Pristina. I come out, I ask somebody, how many Jews are there in Pristina? They said nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking nine Jews are running the education system in Pristina. And I suddenly realized that Dr. Barber invented the telephone strictly for Amusra. You get on the phone, every Jew knows another Jew. You get on the phone to the joint, you get on the phone to the... Jewish agents, and you get the, within five minutes, you've got the whole of Am Yisrael descending on Pristina and opening all these schools. Thanks to the uh, miracle of mobile phones and new technology, we can be connected. 
to every Jew anywhere in the world, so let us use it. And in the meanwhile, I will confess that I am certainly an expert at this technology, that I'm the only person I know whose mobile phone gives him an inferiority Thank you very much for your time.